Welcome to another of the Instant Cood Street podcasts that Jonathan Strawn and I have been doing during a period of cowering and utter terror uh, in our homes. This is Gary Wolf, and today I am talking with science fiction grandmaster and science fiction legend Joe Haldeman. Well, which one would you like? I, well, I, the grandmaster is official. The legend, the reason <laughs> I mentioned that uh, goes back at least 10 years at ICFA when somebody at ICFA introduced you as a science fiction legend at that time. And <laughs> and I recall sitting out by the pool afterwards where you explained to everybody that, no, you were just a rumor. Yeah. <laughs> and I, just, I thought that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so, so now after you've been here in the Science Fiction Hall of Fame, you've got the Grand Master Award, you've got all sorts of things. Are you willing to own up to being a legend? Okay, I'm a legend in my own time, though. Only in, in your my own, yeah, yeah. In, in your own good time. <laughs> well, let's start with our three questions we're asking everybody, uh, and the first one is: I'm getting really interesting responses on this. What are you reading now, and what do you think of it? Well, I'll try to be interesting. Let me see. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I just I just finished uh, Station Eleven by Emily St. John, uh-huh. which very much. Uh, I, in fact, uh, was unfamiliar with her writing, but uh, somebody mentioned that they enjoyed it, <clears throat> and I picked it up and I thought, wow, what an appropriate book, you know. <laughs> it is, and it's uh, yeah. the interesting thing about it for, a, for a, I guess, a, a pandemic book, really, is it's it's about survival. It's about trying to put on plays and things, you know, so right. in a weird way, it struck me as being an optimistic book. Yeah, that's true. Curiously, any any description of it would sound apocalyptic, but in fact, scene by scene, it's quite optimistic. That's kind of what my feeling was, too. She was one of these young uh, literati uh, that uh, has, has moved into this field. Uh, she's not a her second novel is out now. And she's not a science fiction writer, but she seems to know how to handle the material pretty well, better than some others I've seen. That's right. She understands, well, she understands genre, certainly. Mm-hmm. I'm only seeing the top of your head, although it's very attractive. I don't know whether, uh, oh, there you are. Okay. Am I, I still, to... yeah, yeah okay. sure. <laughs> I thought I'd turned off my camera. Okay. Oh, Let, right. oh, look, I hope that doesn't mess up the recording. Um, but anyway, anything else you're, uh, you've been reading lately? Well, let me see. Uh, of course, I always read uh, the science fiction magazines, uh-huh. FNSF, Analog, Asimov's, and now Clark's World nowadays and Interzone. I read them all. They come by, and I'm basically kind of a, a lazy reader. I pick them up, and anything that I can carry to the bathtub <laughs> is grist for the mill, you know. Uh, a bathtub is a good excuse to have paper copies of magazines, isn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be electrocuted if you drop one. Right. Um, well, let's go on to our second question, which has nothing to do with what you necessarily are reading now, but in in times when people are stuck inside, what would you recommend people to pick up? Uh, just mm. to, I don't know, comfort food, whatever. You know, my comfort food tends to be graphic novels. Really? Yeah. And I guess I'm running low on them. But, uh, that's what I tend to pick up. And I actually have gone back to reading uh, <clears throat> the uh, 
Scott, uh, <laughs> looking at your picture, I'm trying to say Scott Donaldson, but <laughs> he, uh, Scott, uh, Scott McCloud, uh, oh. which is uh, what, writing graphic novels or reading graphic novels? Oh, His, uh, Understanding Comics. Yes, Understanding Comics. Oh, I, I love that book. I, I thought uh, it wasn't only a good book about comics. It was one of the better books about how narrative works than I'd seen. Yes, yes, indeed. And that's what I'm what I have enjoyed about rereading it, especially. I mean, uh, it's one of those books that are at least as enjoyable on rereading because, you you know, you're sort of elaborating on on a, a body of knowledge that you already have. Uh-huh. It's a lot of fun, too. He's He's really an entertaining writer. He's an entertaining writer. I mean, I, I've not read that in a while. I only met him once. He was in town once. And, uh-huh. uh, and it, it, it was kind of interesting. It was meeting Neil Gaiman had been giving a reading over at the Newbury Library. And uh-huh. on our way to dinner, about a dozen people attached themselves, which happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was, but I found myself sitting next, sitting, sitting next to this young guy that uh, I'd never met before. And it was Scott McCloud. And I just, I kind of, Geeked out the way I geek out about a good literary theorist because <laughs> yeah well what he, what he talks about in that which I always thought was a, a sign of good critical writing is that you'd you'd recognize things that you'd always sort of known were true but you'd never seen them articulated before oh yes and I mean apart from the fact that he has just a brilliant discuss, discussion of what a gutter does in a in a graphic novel yeah. <laughs> Of course, you want to keep your mind out of that. Well, that's you want to keep. <laughs> okay, I I deserve that. <laughs> well, the third thing we'll get into is what uh, what of yours do you want people to be reading these days? Well, I really think they should be reading the World's Trilogy. That's uh, all. That's that's a box set now, isn't it? Yeah, right. It's a uh, it's a box set. And it's sort of a survival manual for uh, people trying uh-huh. to get these hard times. And when, when was that uh, box set? Uh, that's a fairly recent thing, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's great to see it all at once because I remember uh, when it was coming out. I think the third one was a, a bit late. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the things that fascinates me about trilogies in general, and I was actually uh, talking to Michael Swanwick, who I think had 20 years between the, uh, <laughs> the Iron Dragons thing. So th- th- there's probably somebody keeping a record book somewhere on the longest, furthest spaced out trilogy. Uh, <laughs> but but I remember when, uh, let's see, World's Enough, World's Enough in Time, and what was the title of the third one? World's Enough in Time. World's Enough in Time is the third one. Oh, what's, what, what's the middle one then? World's Apart. Okay, yes. that's right, okay. The thing that struck me about it is that it really read like a kind of uh, single narrative arc. And it actually uh, made sense to me as, as, a, as a meta-novel. And that's one of the things I'm always curious about. Uh, the, the Forever series struck me as being independent novels related. Yeah, yeah. And I've always wondered if those are two completely different definitions of what a trilogy is. I think they are because uh, the Forever War was not set up to be a trilogy. No, it was just a book that re- that created a market for a sequel, and then that created a market for another sequel. So it's sort of a I go if I were going to be 
bitchy about it. I would say it's sort of a law of diminishing returns. You know, hey, you want to do a fourth one? How about a fifth? Oh, well. <laughs> Whereas, well, you know, uh, what about Alice's Adventures in Wonderland? I mean, there's a book that was a perfectly good, very complete, not a marvelous book. Uh-huh. Which, uh, the uh, the author kept reiterating. And I think, I don't know whether it was mercenary. I think it was because it was the story he wanted to tell, and he just enjoyed telling it so much he wanted to keep telling it. I think there are two things involved in that. One is obviously, I, I suspect there was a mercenary thing. I, I suspect Lewis Carroll got a call from Netflix saying, why don't you do this? But, <laughs> But I think the other thing is that he was he liked to play mathematical games and he hadn't used up all his mathematical games in that one. Yeah. And so the, <laughs> it, it strike, strike me that through the looking glass is more more of a puzzle lover's book, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Stuff like that. But on the other hand, I was uh, thinking back on things like uh, Gene Wolfe's book of the New Sun, which basically is a four volume novel. Right. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty clear he had the whole thing in mind at the beginning, and Tolkien did as well. Um, yeah. And then when you get over into the mainstream, I don't know, was Durrell's Alexandria Quartet? Is that a quartet of different novels? Is it a? a I, I, I think it was a. When I read it, I felt it was a trilogy that had an elaboration. That could be. You know. I've I don't remember it that well. I remember being totally captivated by it while while I was reading it. Yeah, I I think largely that was uh, possibly an experiment in point of view. Yeah, right. You go back and look at the same story from 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 the angle of different characters, and of course it does become a uh, a different novel at that point. And to some extent, that's what you're doing with the Forever War sequence as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the connection. First, Durrell. It seems to me in the last book, Darrell brought in a deliberately analytical viewpoint character so he could yeah. sort of sit back and be professorial. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember it that well either, but I, I remember now that you're mentioning that, that it's, suddenly it's like the, the fourth fourth novel is by Lawrence Durrell talking about the characters yeah. in the other novel. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think I was guilty of that, but uh, maybe there was an element of it. Well, there there are other things that I was thinking, for some reason, uh, when you're talking about sort of metafictional things, uh, the other other one of yours, well, there's several that come to mind, but a fairly recent one is, is work, work Done for Hire, uh, which is a novel about a guy writing a novel. And it raises <laughs> another interesting problem or interesting puzzle that it's, it's not a science fiction novel and it's not really a horror novel, but there's a horror novel embedded in it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, the, so the one of the things I've, I, I may have even said this in the review, but I've said this in talking to friends when they want to know if, if something is genre or not. Uh, well, if you embed a genre novel in a novel that's not a genre novel, does that satisfy genre readers? <laughs> and I don't know the answer to that any better than anybody else does. But I, I thought it was a very clever narrative thing. And, um, and in I've fact... Been- the, the answer would be some. <laughs> well, at any rate, we're, we're at our 10-minute point, which is all we actually uh, had set up to do. 
so let me uh, let me conclude this and uh, and we'll chat a little bit afterwards. But this has been again ten minutes with Joe Haldeman, a special feature of the Coop Street podcast. This I got been, it. I like ten minutes. Ten minutes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe. Okay. Thanks a lot, Gary. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Uh, where does it say? Oh.